Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through to 9. This is God's word. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Christianity uh, used to be important. Then it became irrelevant. And now, today, in the Western world, many people find it immoral. That's the context in which um, the church finds itself in uh, 2018. Uh, It's perhaps the context in which you find yourself as a Christian, wherever you may be, uh, in your workplace, amongst your circle of friends, perhaps even in your family, where your views, the views that you hold as a Christian today, um, are treated as um, unwelcome at best. Uh, How are you going to survive? How's the church actually to survive? In a context which is becoming increasingly hostile to the claims of Christianity, um, what is the church to do? Well, thankfully, it's actually nothing new for the church. Uh, When it first came into existence, we found that it wasn't welcomed by all people. Uh, And so this evening, what we're doing is looking at this passage uh, from Acts 17, um, and it gives us something of a roadmap. I think actually not simply how to survive as a Christian, but even to thrive as a Christian in a context which is is increasingly hostile, um, if not uh, unwelcoming to us today. And there are four things I want us to see this evening, four things that I think will help you as a Christian regardless um, of where you find yourself. Uh, Should it be a hostile context? I think there'll be something here for us all uh, this evening. But even as a church, as we look at um, uh, how you're going to move forward in a city like Belfast, I think our passage this evening uh, gives us some key insights as to how to do that um, and how not only to survive, but but also how to thrive. And the first one is that you've got to have confidence in your source. This is perhaps one of the most difficult things for you to hold on to today. Uh, But again, there's nothing new in this. It's always been the same. Um, Regardless of the culture you've been in or the age in which you've lived, this has always been challenged, but you've got to have confidence in your source. So pick up the the passage with me and and let's look at Paul's um, stay in Thessalonica. He'd just come from Philippi, uh, Philippi, uh, where he had been imprisoned. But that didn't set Paul back. He wasn't deterred. 
Um, he was determined to press on. And so when he arrived in Thessalonica, he did the same thing as he always does. Verse 2, as was his custom on three Sabbath days, he reasoned, um, he went to the synagogue and reasoned with them from the Scriptures. See, he had confidence in his source. There are a number of things that um, we're told Paul did in this passage. Have a look with me. Verse 3, we're told he reasoned. Sorry, verse 2, he reasoned. Verse 3, he explained. See? He proved. And then we're told uh, in, the, uh, in the summary at the end of verse 3 that he went about doing one thing, proclaiming to them that Jesus is the Christ. So he wasn't there talking about his own experiences. He wasn't there giving his personal opinion about um, what was going on in the world. He had one thing in mind, and this actually is what makes Christianity different from any other religion in the world, because what Paul was doing was explaining, proving, reasoning, proclaiming what God had already done. Paul wasn't standing up and telling the people what they needed to do. This is what makes Christianity completely unique. This is the gospel. Paul went about proclaiming what God had already done. And how did he do that? Well, he took them back. We see in verse, verse 2, he took them back to the Scriptures. That was the basis upon which he stood. That's where his message came from. The Scriptures, as Paul would have had them, are, are our Old Testament. That's what he went about using in order to persuade and proclaim that, that Jesus is the Christ. He had confidence in his source. And so if you want to, to not only survive but thrive in a difficult context, which is intellectually, culturally, morally unwelcoming of what you stand for, you're going to need confidence in your source. Imagine you went to a building site, right? You were walking past a building site. And you saw a tradesman there, and he was trying to hammer a piece of uh, a nail into a piece of wood. And imagine he was trying to do that with, with a with a violin. You'd laugh at him, wouldn't you? You'd think it was absolutely and utterly ridiculous. What that tradesman needs in order to get that nail into the piece of wood is is a hammer. He needs the right tool. And what Paul was confident was about was this: the word of God does the work of God. There's no point in you going to any sort of church, this one or anywhere else, and getting nothing else but the opinion of the man up here. There's no point in you going to this church or any other church, listening to the experiences only of people up here. What you need to survive, thrive as a Christian, is to be given confidence in the source. Bishop uh, J.C. Ryle, um, famous bishop, he was the first bishop, bishop of Liverpool, um, and he's quoted often. I follow him on Twitter. Now, he's dead a hundred plus years, so what that does to my theology of communion with the saints, I'm not sure. But J.C. Ryle, still tweeting today, and what he said was this, you can lock me in the darkest dungeon with a candle and a Bible, and I will still be able to tell you what's going on in the world today. Confidence in the source. As it describes the reality of our lives, as it 
unpacks for us the nature of our own hearts, as it gives us a plan for the history of the world. This is what we need. Confidence in our source. But not only confidence in our source, the second thing I think we're going to need as we look at this together and as Paul went about doing his ministry was clarity on our subject. Um, Because what is it that Paul went about explaining and proving and reasoning, persuading people? Well, look at it. I mean, it is, it is the gospel, isn't it? Explaining verse 3, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And then look at this, and saying that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, it's Him. He's the one that we all need. Paul was going all over the Mediterranean. He was going into to one culture and then into another. He was meeting Jews and Gentiles. He was seeing tradespeople and, and business uh, people. He, he was speaking to absolutely everyone. But he knew that there was only one thing, one person that absolutely everyone needed. He was, he was clear on the subject. And I'm sure you've had conversations like I've had, those deep conversations, the meaningful conversations about the big things in life, right? Is there a God? How do we know there's a God? If you're going to live as a Christian, at some point or another, you're going to come up against these questions. How do you know there's a God? You know, why is there so much suffering in the world today? Would a loving God really send anybody to hell? You know those big, witty conversations that you have? Well, Paul would want us to know that they all actually are answered when we come to this, when we come to, to Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. How do we know that there is a God? I mean, he went around proclaiming this. He took this to Athens as he, as he did to any other Jewish synagogue because of the man, Jesus Christ. Go back and look at what he said about himself. No other man said the things that Jesus said and, and was able to walk around free from being locked up in an asylum. Jesus said things about himself which were radical. How do we know there's a God? We'll go to Jesus Christ. Why do so many bad things happen in the world? Look at Jesus Christ, the best person who ever lived, enduring the worst of all possible deaths. Go to the cross. God is able to take even the bad things that happen and bring out of them good. It's not a comprehensive answer, but at least it's a start. He was clear about the subject. And yes, Paul, I'm sure, would not have been afraid because Jesus himself was never, he never shied away from this. But yes, to live in this life without Christ is hell. And to face an eternity without him, well, that's just continuing in the same path. Paul was clear on the subject. He went about proving and reasoning and persuading people from the Scriptures, that Jesus is the one that they needed. Again, Paul could have done whatever he wanted. Paul was a really intelligent, bright guy. He could have done whatever he liked. He was a Jew himself and then was radically converted to see the truth about this Christ. And we're told that he did this on three Sabbaths, as was his custom. In other words, he was prepared to do it again and again and again. And I think it's a great lesson for us as well, isn't it? 
Because what is it that people need, regardless of how hostile they may appear at the moment, what they need is Christ, and we need to be clear on that. They don't need necessarily um, our intellectual arguments. If they look at our lives, they'll see that we're far from perfect. And what people desperately don't need, especially don't need, is, is my faith. It's weak, threadbare. What people need is the one my faith is in. He's strong. He's able. He's able to, to answer all of their questions. And as we go about holding him out, I do think we will not only survive, but we will thrive. The older we get, the bigger he becomes. He's the one that everybody needs. If we're to do that, though, well, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it for us, because the third thing they went, we then see, which happens to Paul and happened to him regularly, was that he had to, to expect conflict. Conflict came as no surprise to Paul, because his numbers seemed to increase in Thessalonica, as you might expect they would, will do here. As numbers increased, so did the opposition. Pick it up with me in verse 5. But the Jews, interestingly, it's the religious people who didn't like what Paul was doing. The Jews, verse 5, were jealous. And taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find him, that is Paul and Silas, I think they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Now listen to this. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And this is what they said, that these people are proclaiming that there is someone else, a different Caesar, saying that there is another king, King Jesus. And in many ways, they're right, aren't they? The Jews who are jealous, stirring up the rabble and causing an uproar in the city, get it absolutely right. So it proves that Paul's message was, was an, on the money. They got it absolutely right because this is exactly what Paul was proclaiming. There is another king. King Jesus. Who will not tolerate any other rivals, regardless of who they are. And so this is what it means for us, isn't it, to be Christians here tonight. We're saying, I no longer belong to myself, but I belong to another. I'm no longer ruled by my own thoughts or the thoughts of the world. I'm ruled by, by another, by, by Jesus. He's the king now over my life. That's what it means, isn't it? And if you're going to buy into that, if you have bought into that, well, then, of course, you're going to, you're going to experience conflict. Conflict should come as no surprise to you whatsoever. Are you struggling as a Christian at the minute? Well, Paul would want to say, good. Tough love. But he would want, to, want you to know that that's exactly the nature of the Christian life today. It will set you in a difficult relationship with the world. Imagine you go on holiday and you're flying under your, your British passport and you go to sleep one night and you wake up the next morning to find that, unbeknown to you, the government had decided overnight to take a ruling against all British citizens. 
British citizens are no, no longer welcome in their country. The values that British citizens stand for are against now the values of that country, the priorities of the British culture. I don't know what's going to happen in Brexit. We were praying for it earlier. I'm not sure. Um, I doubt it will be as bad as this. But if you were to wake up in another country where your British citizenship put you at odds with that country, how would you feel? How would you react? What would you do? You'd probably flee, wouldn't you? You'd probably want to get out of there as quickly as possible. How that would actually happen, I'm not sure. Given you'd be traveling under a British passport, I'm not sure that's where the analogy breaks down. But essentially, that is what has happened to you as a Christian. You're now the citizen of a different place. And the values that you have, the priorities that shape your life, the direction in which you're now heading, by and large, is against the ways of this world. And so conflict should come as no surprise. But here's what the world needs to see. It needs to see you having confidence in your source, that you're clear about your subject, that you're not put off by a little bit of conflict, and that you are prepared to pay the cost, the cost of suffering for the sake of others. That's how our story ends, isn't it, with this man, Jason. We're told that when they couldn't find Paul and Silas, um, that they went and uh, dragged out this man, Jason. And they brought him uh, before the city authorities, verse 8 and 9, um, who were disturbed when they heard these things. And look what happens to Jason at the end. I mean, Jason could have gone many different ways, right? He could have denied that he was part of Paul's gathering. He could have blended in and disappeared as a Christian, but he doesn't. You see, we're told, it's a, it's a little comment at the end, but essentially it means that he had to pay his own bail. In verse, in verse 9, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Jason hadn't been a Christian for very long. Paul had only been there really for, we're told, three, three Sabbaths, three Sundays. And yet such was the work of God in Jason's life that he was prepared to suffer. He was prepared to, to count the cost for the sake of Christ. This is what makes Christians completely different um, from others, that when they're hard-pressed, when they're beaten and put down, they don't retaliate. They don't repay one evil with another, but they're prepared to suffer. That's the way of their master. They're prepared to treat others in a way that they don't deserve. That's the way of God. I don't know how Jason would have sang those songs here tonight. You're a good, good father. You're a loving father. But Jason would have known one thing, that he indeed did belong to God, that he was his child. You see, suffering often does that for us, doesn't it? Suffering often strips away, strips away our affections for the world. Maybe we don't know an awful lot about that at the minute. Maybe we'll learn more about it in the future. Perhaps our society will become 
completely intolerant of Christianity. Jason knew it. Suffering had stripped away from him the affections of this world to the point where he was prepared to count the cost, to suffer, to stand for Christ because he knew that Christ was the one that everyone needed. Wouldn't it be great? Not for our name's sake, not for Foundation Church's reputation. Wouldn't it be great for this to be said of you? These people are turning the world upside down. Wouldn't it be great if Belfast began to take notice of you as a church and perhaps other churches in this city who were turning things upside down by the way in which they lived? You will do that. If, if I may just repeat, you may do that if you are if you're confident in your source, if you're clear about your subject, if conflict comes as no surprise, and if you're prepared to count the cost. May it be said of us in our day, in our generation, that we were prepared to stand. Acts of the Apostles are full of all these characters. You know, Jason's just one of them, but we're going to meet them in heaven. They're going to be in glory. They're, they're cheering us on. They're the great crowd of witnesses, cloud of witnesses who are standing around us, urging us, look, your time here is short. Your task is, is, is great. And the consequences of your work are infinite. So as Christians today, let's give, let's give one another an encouragement to live as Jason lived. And let's give Belfast something to talk about. But above all, let's by our lives give glory to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that we do have wonderful news to proclaim. That we have the Lord Jesus who died for us and rose again, who ascended into heaven, who is reigning with you and will one day return. And we pray that you would work such in our lives that we would be pleased to be known as those who belong to him. We pray that you would, you would turn us upside down in our own lives so that we would value the things of this world less and the things of heaven more. We pray that as we do that, you might use us to share the glory of the gospel in other people's lives as well. So help us to continue to, to feed in your word, think about it this week, and to live lives that please you, knowing that we belong to you all because of your Son. Amen.